There was a knock one morning, a man was standing at my door. He said, hello, I'm from Halliburton, have you heard of us before? We'd like to lease your backyard to drill for natural gas. It's called hydraulic fracturing, and it is the very past for a clean energy future above the Marcellus Stone. Plus, we'll give you lots of money and a new mobile phone. I said, you are a corporate crook. I don't believe the things you tell, and you can drive right off my property and then go straight to hell. No fracking way. No fracking way. I don't trust corporate salesmen, whatever they may say. No fracking way. 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 And that was David Rovix from the album Big Red Sessions. That was an excerpt from his track, No Fracking way welcome to frack you very much a fracking terrible podcast if you want to check out back episodes of frack you very much just go to frack you very much.com you can also follow on twitter at fyvm show if you check out the website in addition to all those back episodes you'll find a link to send me a message you'll also find some links to where you can make a one-time or recurring donation to keep this podcast free and independent First up here is a story written by Andrea Germanos, staff writer at CommonDreams.org. The first two stories are going to be references to a new study put out by Food and Water Watch. A new report out Monday challenges the fossil fuel industry narrative that fracked gas is a quote, bridge fuel calling its development instead a path towards planetary destruction and an obstacle to achieving a renewables-based energy system. Released by Washington, D.C.-based advocacy group Food and Water Watch, the analysis is entitled Fracking's Bridge to Climate Chaos, Exposing the Fossil Fuel Industry's Deadly Spin. This new research makes one thing absolutely clear, said Food and Water Watch Executive Director Winona Howder. Unless we ban fracking, these terrifying climate trends will intensify. Among the problems with fracking is that it's responsible for gas leaks at, quote, every stage of the sprawling natural gas network, including wellhead bases, underground storage facilities, and compressor stations, processing plants, and end stages such as liquefied natural gas LNG exports ports and industrial plants. That's bad news for the climate because the leaks include methane, a potent greenhouse gas that can also help create the ground-level pollutant ozone. Quote, Methane leaks in the 2.4 to 3.2% range are likely to completely neutralize any purported climate benefits of natural gas used in place of coal for electricity generation, says the report. It references research from Cornell University that found a 3.5% leak rate for shale gas production. The report also notes that fracked natural gas does not go does not just go towards electricity production, but also to plastics generation. Plastics production was responsible in 20 in 2015 for nearly 4% of global emissions. As plastics break down, adds a report, they release methane. Methane leaks aside, 
the claim of fracked gas serving as a bridge towards renewables just doesn't hold water. From the report, quote, Abundant gas breaks the carbon budget even for the insufficient Paris Agreement climate targets. Long-term projections by the U.S. Energy Information Administration, EIA, find that even with continued fracking, coal's share of generation will stabilize in the 2020s. As coal use stabilizes, large supplies of natural gas will continue to increase carbon emissions. That abundance means fracked gas is standing in the way of renewables, says the report. Since fossil fuels and renewables compete to provide energy, gas supplies depress the production of renewable energy. A 2017 study found that low natural gas prices shifted investment from wind power to gas turbines, which resulted in 6% higher average emissions and solar power companies blame fracking for stifling domestic projects. But achieving a transition to 100% renewables is both necessary and doable, says the report, and just relying on the fossil fuel industry to commit to voluntary measures or calling for band-aid approaches won't get the nation there. Quote, regulated fracking still results in public health impacts, accidental spills of toxic waste, air pollution, earthquakes, drinking water contamination, and unavoidable methane leaks that fuel climate change, says the report. The report also issues a number of recommendations. Instituting a national ban on fracking and its associated activities such as frack sand mining and waste disposal that support the practice. Shutting down dangerous infrastructure that props up the fracking and fossil fuel industries and stopping fossil fuel exports and the construction of infrastructure to support these exports. Restricting the sale of plastic products that prop up the oil and gas industry. Transitioning to 100% clean renewable energy by 2030 through investment in a New Deal-scale green energy public works program that fosters a rapid transition to real, zero-emissions clean energy like solar and wind accompanied by wide-scale deployment of energy efficiency. The organization's first proposal got a boost last week after Senator Bernie Sanders introduced legislation to ban on and offshore fracking by 2025. The measure, which has Jeff Merkley as a co-sponsor, calls out the health impacts of communities on the front lines of fracking and says, quote, hydraulic fracturing is not the nas- in the national interest of the United States. Sanders, in response to the new Food and Water Watch publication, said, quote, fracking is a danger to our water supply. It's a danger to the air we breathe. It has resulted in more earthquakes and it is highly explosive. To top it all off, it is contributing to climate change. This should be a no-brainer, he continued. If we are serious about clean air and drinking water, if we are serious about combating climate change, the only safe and sane way to move forward is to ban fracking nationwide. Not taking that step, says Howder, is a path to more climate chaos. Quote, Fracked gas is not a bridge to a cleaner future, she said. It's a foolish perpetuation of the very dangerous fossil fuel status quo. And this story is written by Dana Drugmund and published at resilience.org. 
A new report from advocacy group Food and Water Watch argues that fracking and continued reliance on natural gas is detrimental to addressing climate change. The report, which calls out the fossil fuel industry's misleading narratives around natural gas, comes at a time when progressive members of Congress, like Senator Bernie Sanders and Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, are introducing a bill to ban fracking, and when the industry is ramping up its public relations push around gas. According to Food and Water Watch, FWW report, Greenhouse gas emissions reductions from power sec- from the power sector over the past decade are not as great as the gas industry claims. FWW researchers found that combined emissions from coal and gas power plants declined 10.4% over the last decade. If emissions continue to decline at this roughly 10% pace, the report says, they will not reach zero until 2100. The report examines data from the Energy Information Administration, EIA, an academic emissions inventory, and a recent Cornell University study. FWW developed a model that evaluates life cycle emissions of power production, including methane emissions from coal and natural gas production, processing, transportation, and end use. The organization's analysis is also based on a comprehensive synthesis of methane leak research. The methane emissions from natural gas, the data shows, are significant and have a greater climate impact than the carbon dioxide emitted at a gas power plant. While natural gas burns cleaner than coal in terms of carbon dioxide emissions, a key problem with gas is that it is composed almost entirely of methane a greenhouse gas that is 86 times more potent than carbon dioxide over 20 years in the atmosphere. And all too often before it's ever burned, the methane leaks out of oil and gas operations. According to the report, methane leaks are inevitable and incur throughout every stage of the supply chain. That finding has been backed up by research including a 2018 study in the journal Science that found oil and gas operations leaking 60% more methane than previously estimated by the EPA. Quote, Even if every coal plant was decommissioned by 2030 and replaced by gas-powered electricity, greenhouse gas emissions would still continue to rise, Food and Water Watch states, and if natural gas remains a dominant energy source through 2050, annual greenhouse gas emissions from the power sector will be higher in the coming decades than they are today. Electricity generation accounts for only about one-third of natural gas consumption, according to the report, with the remaining 65% going into plastics production and providing heat in buildings. Methane emissions from these uses, Food and Water Watch says, are obscured by the industry's touting of gas's role in reducing power sector emissions as coal declines. The report also argues that replacing coal with gas plants locks in a system reliant on fossil fuels. Quote, Supporting infrastructure like refineries and pipelines creates a fossil fuel-oriented inertia that delays climate action, the report states. This view that gas perpetuates fossil fuel dependence is contrary to the idea that gas is a, quote, bridge to a renewable energy future. Origins of the Bridge Fuel Narrative Quote, The bridge fuel sales pitch was invented by the American Gas Association, AGA, in 1988 
and it has a lasting impact on the gas narrative. The Food and Water Watch report states, The report cites a 2017 paper by sociology scholar Dr. Anthony Ladd, who writes, quote, First crafted by the American Gas Association in 1988 to help green the public image of the natural gas industry, just as the first scientific warnings about global warming were emerging. The clean energy bridge fuel discourse has been innovatively used to champion the use of natural gas, as well as nuclear power, based on their lower CO2 emissions than coal or oil. Ladd's historical accounting of AGA originating the bridge fuel claim is confirmed by Washington Post archives from 1988. Quote, Michael German, Vice President of Planning and Analysis for the American Gas Association, refused to na- refers to natural gas as a bridge fuel, the least harmful alternative while the world looks for other, longer-lasting solutions to the greenhouse effect. In 1992, former Enron chairman and CEO Kenneth Lay wrote to President Bush referencing gas's role in reducing CO2 emissions. Quote, Natural gas is our cleanest fossil fuel, and through its increased use in electric power generation, could play a major role in reducing CO2 emissions and delivering lower electricity prices to consumers. Stanford research and science historian Ben Franta, who studies the history of climate science denial and fossil fuel disinformation campaigns, told DSmog that the industry's promotion of gas as a, quote, clean, as, quote, clean, is rooted in efforts to avoid regulations restraining fossil fuel use. Quote, I do recall from my archival research that by the end of the 1980s and beginning of the 1990s, fossil fuel interests were discussing the promotion of natural gas as an industry-friendly alternative to reductions in fossil fuel use, Franta said. It was, in a sense, part of the industry's counterproposal to discussions of reducing fossil fuel production and use. That counterproposal basically said, instead of binding agreements to reduce emissions, Let's switch to natural gas, focus on efficiency, and carry out more research. The industry was successful in promoting these terms, which in practice have yielded expanded fossil fuel production, increased emissions, and ever-worsening damages. Gas is not a bridge fuel. Despite the familiar framing of gas as a transition or bridge to a renewable energy future, Both the fossil fuel industry and environmental activists say that framing is no longer relevant. Activists argue that renewables plus battery storage are already cost-competitive with gas and say that increasing gas supply impedes rather than bridges the transition to carbon-free energy. Quote, Increasing natural gas production simply continues a never-ending bridge, displaces clean, renewable energy, and locks in dirty fossil fuel infrastructure for decades, FWW argues in its report. The industry on the polar opposite end of the spectrum now claims that gas is not a bridge, but the destination, positioned to supply energy demand far into the future. A spokesman for the AGA said that the industry does not view gas as a bridge and hasn't for the past decade. Former AGA President Dave McCurdy and American Petroleum Institute Marty Durbin both referred to natural gas as a foundation fuel. In its recent Energy and Carbon Summary report, 
ExxonMobil cited, quote, expanding the supply of cleaner burning natural gas as a near-term action it plans to undertake. Exxon's report mentioned that although renewable energy sources are expected to grow, natural gas is expected to grow the most of any energy type. The industry is clearly championing gas as the answer to emissions reductions, which the FWW report challenges, to economic prosperity and to energy security. A new organization, the Empowerment Alliance, TEA, emerged last year to promote exactly this message. TEA does not reveal its funding, though its talking points are basically the same ones used by groups like the American Petroleum Institute and the Independent Petroleum Association of America, both of which have been heavily promoting gas in social media and communications materials. Momentum builds for fracking bans, leaving gas industry on the defensive. With the petroleum industry banking on gas playing a substantial role in the world's energy mix, it has already come out against calls to ban fracking from some Democratic lawmakers. Current U.S. Senators and Democratic presidential candidates Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren have both said they would ban fracking if they are elected. Sanders, along with Senator Jeff Merkley and Representatives Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Darren Soto, recently introduced legislation that would ban fracking and the infrastructure enabling it everywhere in America. The Fracking Ban Act cites numerous concerns with the processes that have enabled a huge boom in U.S. oil and gas, including the, quote, Fracked natural gas is not a bridge fuel as previously understood. The oil and gas industry appears to be mounting a defense. Last November, the American Petroleum Institute, API, released a new video expressly opposing a fracking ban, part of a broader strategic campaign to dampen public support for a national ban and to brand the industry as the, quote, as the natural gas and oil industry, now putting gas front and center. API is also promoting an Energy for Progress campaign to counter the scientifically backed understanding that fossil fuels are the cause, not the solution, to the climate crisis. This Energy for Progress branding, as climate reporter and heated publisher Emily Atkin recently pointed out, is curiously similar in wording to the names of liberal think tanks like Data for Progress and Center for American Progress, but the branding to resemble progressive groups or ideals doesn't stop there. At an industry conference in Houston on February 5, the CEO of Parsley Energy acknowledged that petroleum producers have, quote, a massive perception problem, particularly among younger generations, and pitched the idea of a, quote, shale new deal. Quote, we need a shale new deal, Parsley's Matt Gallagher said. We need to highlight the benefits of America's producing oil and gas, and we're doing it with as little impact as possible. This phrasing presumably plays off the Green New Deal, a popular policy framework among the left and younger generations, for comprehensively addressing the climate crisis along with other social and economic injustices. And fracking has no place in the Green New Deal framework. Senator Sanders, one of the leading advocates of the Green New Deal, pointed to the dangers associated with fracking, which the industry always omits in its promotional communications. Quote, Fracking is a danger to our water supply. It's a danger to the air we breathe. It has resulted in more earthquakes. 
and it is highly explosive. To top it all off, it is contributing to climate change, Sanders said in a statement responding to the Food and Water Watch report. This should be a no-brainer. If we are serious about clean air and drinking water, if we are serious about combating climate change, the only safe and sane way to move forward is to ban fracking nationwide. Momentum is already building at the local and state levels with communities like Berkeley, California and Brookline, Massachusetts advancing with bans on gas in new buildings. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo has just announced that the state's fracking ban, first imposed in 2014, will become permanent. New York City announced on February 6 that it plans to ban all new fossil fuel projects and infrastructure and end the use of fossil fuels in large buildings by 2040. Quote, the science is clear. Fracking is a leading contributor to our climate emergency, said Ocasio-Cortez. We must do our job to protect our future from the harms caused by the fracking industry and its methane emissions. Next up is a piece published at PAPost.org. Natural gas driller cited by DEP for fracking wastewater spill in Lycoming County now faces criminal charges. The allegations are contained in criminal charges filed against Inflection Energy, headquartered in Denver, Colorado, and Double D Construction of Montoursville. Inflection paid a $170,500 civil penalty leveled, levied by the State Department of Environmental Protection after the spill. But according to an agency spokesperson, Double D was not cited. The criminal charges were filed in November by the State Attorney General's office, but they just came to light when Inflection and Double D waived their preliminary hearings. The company faces misdemeanor charges including disturbing waterways or watersheds and allowing a substance that could harm fish to enter a waterway, and a summary offense of drilling activity that causes a public nuisance. Asked why criminal charges were filed against inflection in light of the significant civil penalty, an attorney general spokesperson said, quote, Criminal charges are wholly unrelated to a civil penalty. We seek to hold the defendant companies accountable for negligence that led to pollution in a stream. Attempts to obtain a comment from inflection were unsuccessful, but when the civil penalty was imposed, it attributed the spill to a then-unidentified contractor. Double D, according to court documents, was responsible for monitoring the transfer of treated brine water from a million-gallon tank to a smaller one, so it could be trucked from the well pad in Eldred Township, north of Warrensville. The worker fell asleep in a truck for about 30 minutes early on November 12, 2017, and for 45 minutes the following morning, while a 21,000-gallon tank overflowed, the charges state. Some of the fluids went into an unnamed tributary of Loyal Sock Creek, At the time, a DEP spokesman told the state Impact Pennsylvania that the fluid had not reached the creek itself. It was the job of the employee who was working a 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. shift with no set days off to turn off the pump when the float was within two feet of the top of the tank, an affidavit in support of the charges states. 
The pump now has a hard shutoff and inflection requires monitoring when it is operating, the document states. The implicated worker was fired that November 13 after providing a written statement to Double D owner Jason DuPont and passing a drug test, the, ad- the affidavit states. Inflection is accused of not reporting the first spill that was smaller than the second one, documents state. As part of the remediation effort, Inflection removed and disposed of more than 3,600 cubic yards of impacted soil, DEP said. It also monitored groundwater and private water sources. Inflection and Double D are accused of violating the Fish and Boat Code, Solid Waste Management Act, Clean Streams Law, and the Oil and Gas Act. And next up, a piece by Laura Gunderson of The Oregonian, published at OregonLive.com. Oregon Landfill accepted 2 million pounds of radioactive fracking waste from North Dakota. A chemical waste landfill near the Columbia Gorge has been accepting hundreds of tons of radioactive fracking waste from North Dakota in violation of Oregon regulations. Oregon Department of Energy officials issued a, quote, notice of violation to Chemical Waste Management's landfill near the small town of Arlington on Thursday for accepting a total of 2 million pounds of back in oil field waste that was delivered by rail in 2016, 2017, and 2019. With landfill officials' permission, Oilfield Waste Logistics of Culbertson, Montana dumped the waste, some of which registered radium at 300 times the state's limits. On average, the waste registered radium at 140 picocuries per gram, according to Jeff Burright, a state nuclear waste remediation specialist. The state's maximum level for waste stored at Arlington is 5 picocuries, he said. Energy Department regulators said the landfill won't be fined for accepting the radioactive waste because they believe landfill operators misunderstood state guidelines and weren't aware of the violations, said Ken Niles, Assistant Director for Nuclear Safety. He said the agency can only fine companies ranging from $60 to $500 a day under certain circumstances. Fines can be levied if a violator had previously been notified of a violation and repeated it, or did something similar. The department also fines companies for willful violations or violations that result in, quote, significant adverse impacts to humans or the environment. Niles said none of those issues applied in the case of chemical waste management. Quote, that could change if something were to change in our knowledge, Niles said. But the company has been taking this very seriously. They have been very cooperative and want to do the right thing. Regulators said they determined the biggest risks would be if the waste were ingested or inhaled, if people faced direct exposure, or if it emitted radon. Currently, Burwright said the state does not believe those issues are a risk because of how the waste is stored on the 1,300-acre landfill, including being covered by at least 10 feet of other material. Burwright said that the employees at the landfill avoided direct exposure because they work in pressurized cabins and, when they're outside, rely on oxygen masks. Landfill operators did not respond to requests for more information made by phone and email around 5 p.m. Thursday.
The landfill, which has not accepted another load of back and oil field runoff since September 2019, must now create a risk assessment and action plan to address the violation. If the Energy Department receives enough feedback on the documents, Niles said, the agency could hold a public meeting to accept comments. Dan Saras of Columbia Riverkeeper said his groups will be pushing for such a meeting and calling on state leaders to address how Oregon became, quote, a fracking dumping ground. The big question is now what happens to this waste that has been illegally dumped in Oregon? Do they have to clean up this mess they created by accepting this waste from North Dakota? Sarah said, the level and scale of this infraction is alarming and galling. Regulators said landfill officials didn't properly check state guidelines. Instead, Niles said, the landfill operators relied on their customers' assurances that the level of radioactivity met state standards. After receiving a tip from a caller in North Dakota, Oregon regulators discovered the violation after checking data provided by the landfill, as well as from the state of North Dakota. Oilfield Waste Logistics, which touts on, which touts on its website, quote, we make compliance easy. Quote, erroneously cited Oregon rules and landfill operators referred to the wrong state standards for waste containing radium, regulators said. We don't know if it was intentional or accidental, Niles said, adding that the state nuclear waste rules are complicated. They could have misunderstood. The state is considering whether to issue a notice of violation to the Montana company. Oilfield Waste Logistics also did not respond to requests for comment. Oregon regulators said it has become increasingly difficult to find places to dump fracking waste that comes from North Dakota, New Mexico, and elsewhere. The Arlington landfill, which accepts about 20 million pounds of hazardous chemical waste a month, is among only a dozen sites nationwide that can accept certain types of such waste, they said. Oregon doesn't have any other locations that would accept it, regulators said, and several other states are seeking to enact limits on the waste similar to Oregon's. It's unclear which route the waste took to come to Oregon. The Energy Department officials said they weren't sure how it arrived in Arlington and added that radioactivity levels did not require special warnings on train cars. And here's a piece published at nrdc.com, a small town's battle against radioactive fracking waste. After an illegal dumping of close to 2,000 tons of dangerous sludge and contaminated materials across the street from two schools, a Kentucky community struggles with what to do next. Estill County isn't the kind of place you'd think would have a radioactive waste problem. Half of this quiet, unassuming nook of eastern Kentucky is covered like a quilt with farmhouses and churches, while the other half rests in the shade of Daniel Boone National Forest. In Estill's center, nestled between the Appalachian foothills and the Kentucky River, sits Irvine, population 2,400. Route 89 slices through town as Main Street, crossing the river via a light green truss bridge on its way to the middle and high schools. Right across the street from the schools, which serve students from all over the county, sits the local landfill. So when news broke in early 2016 that the local landfill had for months been illegal burying 1,900 tons of radioactive and potentially carcinogenic material, this tight-knit community was shocked. 
quote. It's an insult to the intelligence of the people who live here, says Nancy Farmer, a lifelong resident who spent 34 years on the Estill County Board of Education. It's certainly insulting that life in Estill County is being valued less than life anywhere else because they're willing to put this kind of material close to students in two different schools. Farmer has never liked the landfill being there. She remembers being concerned when advanced disposal the country's fourth largest solid waste disposal corporation, bought the piece of former farmland. And she has worried ever since about the health of the town, the students, and her six grandchildren. After the Blue Ridge landfill opened in 1984, Farmer drove by it nearly every day on her way to Estill County High School, where she was a biology and English teacher. Quote, We watched it being built. We smelled it being built, she says, her red hair curling above a green t-shirt as her elbows rest on a table at the local Hardee's. We were concerned about the environmental impact of the landfill from the get-go. In 1995, Farmer volunteered to help create a legally binding host community agreement between the county and the landfill owners. As a solid waste facility, the Blue Ridge landfill could take neither ash residue from a nearby nerve gas and blister gas storage facility where around 2% of our country's chemical weapons have been kept since 1942, nor radiological waste from anywhere else. Only a couple of years passed before Blue Ridge began threatening to undercut the agreement and profit from accepting 90,000 tons of soil and pipes containing naturally occurring radioactive materials or norms from an old oil field. In response, Farmer and other community members filed a lawsuit in 1997. She attended meetings in Frankfurt, the state capital, trying to persuade the Energy and Environment Cabinet, EEC, to keep the waste out of Irvine, while her neighbors protested back home. Quote, I remember ministers and mothers picketing the landfill when that happened, Farmer says. They stood across the road from the landfill on the property of the middle school and high school. It worked. By the end of summer, the landfill withdrew its state permit to accept radioactive waste, and the county dropped its suit. But two decades later, the landfill began illegally accepting radioactive waste anyway. This time it was fracking leftovers sent across state lines from West Virginia and Ohio. For three years, the radioactive waste has sat within a few hundred feet of the schools, and the town is locked in a battle over what to do with it. The waste journey to Estill County was a long and complicated one that started miles beneath the Earth's crust. There, radioactive isotopes occur naturally in the bedrock, especially in the Marcellus Shale Formation that stretches from West Virginia to New York. After drilling a well, fracking operators forcefully flush a cocktail of water, sand, and chemicals into it in order to crack open the rock and release oil and gas. This wastewater slurry, along with any sediment left on equipment or unearthed during the drilling process, can contain radioactive materials that require special disposal. More than half of the radioactive waste in Estill's Blue Ridge landfill came from a water recycling facility in West Virginia called Fairmont Brine Processing, LLC, which eventually settled with the state of Kentucky for $168,000 for its part in the dumping scandal. 
Though recycling fracking wastewater is one of the most environmentally responsible solutions for fracking waste, better than injecting it back into the ground, for instance, it creates a new problem. The impurities removed from the wastewater become concentrated solid known as TENORM, which stands for Technologically Enhanced Naturally Occurring Radioactive Material. Quote, it's kind of like the difference between moonshine and aged whiskey, explains Farmer. Moonshine's like tenorm. It's concentrated. It has a higher alcohol content. Avner Vengosh, professor of Earth and Ocean Sciences at Duke University, calls the facilities like Fairmont, quote, enrichment factories for the radioactive element. In the past, Fairmont may have just disposed of its tenorm in a West Virginia landfill, but in 2015, the state began requiring radiation monitors for all of its solid waste landfills. The new law made it harder for any drill cuttings and drilling waste above the state's radiation limit to be sneaked into landfills not equipped to handle it. Recycling facilities receive proposals from various landfills and landfill brokers to handle their leftover materials. In the case of Fairmont, Corey Hoskins, who owns BES LLC and Advanced Tenorm Services LLC, won the bid. Hoskins brokered a deal with the Blue Ridge Landfill to take the waste, despite Kentucky state law forbidding the acceptance of radioactive waste from West Virginia. The state fined Hoskins' company $5.3 million and advanced disposal the landfill's owner paid a $95,000 civil penalty. According to Mark Nyber, Vice President of Marketing and Communications at Advanced Disposal, the material was disposed of, quote, in accordance with applicable state and federal law and regulation. His company claims it didn't know the materials were radioactive, but the manifest between Hoskins and Billy Bowles, the former landfill manager, suggests otherwise. In the summer of 2015, Bowles accepted eight shipments of waste from Hoskins, who had contracts not only with Fairmont, but also with at least eight other oil and gas wastewater companies, including six from Ohio. Through a different broker, Bowles also accepted 36 loads of potentially radioactive waste from Ohio's pressure tech, described as, quote, a dewatering facility that accepts various slurry from the oil and gas industry. All of the manifests signed by Bowles describe the shipments along the lines of, quote, exploration and production waste solids and debris, or exploration and production soil and filter stock and filter socks. Filter socks, large sock-shaped bags that filter radioactive materials, have garnered more media attention than other drilling waste byproducts because they are frequently mishandled. According to the Western Organization of Regional Councils, a network of nonprofits working to make economic development more sustainable, operators use the socks over and over again to condense sludges, resulting in a highly concentrated radioactivity level. Managers at the Coral Creek Landfill in Montana, for instance, say the socks, quote, always exceed the analytical limits for radioactivity. Although that landfill will accept 10 orms, it draws the line at filter socks. Blue Ridge, which isn't supposed to be accepting any radioactive materials at all, accepted as many as 62 truckloads containing filter socks. In the section of the manifest where it asks whether any necessary state approvals have been granted, the NA column for non-applicable was checked all 62 times. 
By February 2016, a total of approximately 92 trucks from Fairmont and other 10-orm generators had dumped their contents at Blue Ridge. Orphan Waste Quote, In the history of the United States, we've never knowingly buried massive quantities of low-level radioactive waste in the local garbage dump, says Bill Hughes, a former chairman of the Wetzel County Solid Waste Authority in West Virginia. And yet, with more than two decades of experience in the waste business, Hughes wasn't surprised when he heard that radioactive materials from his state had crossed the border into Kentucky, because federal law does not require fracking waste to be, quote, monitored cradle to grave, he says. It can be misplaced or conveniently forgotten about in transit. It becomes orphan waste. Quote, the oil and gas industry generates a ton of waste. It's their Achilles heel, if you will. And there simply aren't enough places to dispose of it, says Melissa Troutman, a research and policy analyst at Earthworks, a nonprofit working to reform the mining and energy industries. Between 2007 and 2016, natural gas production in the United States increased eightfold. In 2012 alone, fracking nationwide produced upwards of 280 billion gallons of wastewater. That's a lot to keep track of, especially when nobody is making certain that you do. Quote, There is a bit of a race to the bottom with regard to where companies send their waste, says Troutman. The rules for disposing of oil and gas waste vary from state to state. While the federal government regulates hazardous waste under the Resource Conservation and Recovery Act, RCRA, the oil and gas industry takes advantage of loopholes that exempt most of the 18 billion barrels of waste fluids that it generates annually. For instance, fracking leftovers, even the radioactive kind, fall into the quote, non-hazardous category, along with household waste. It's all political, says Ben Gosh, who believes the law should consider all oil and gas waste, including fracking wastewater, hazardous. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, EPA, has, a minimum, has minimum standards for oil and gas waste disposal. But, quote, it's up to the states to conduct enforcement and permitting, says Adam Cron, a lawyer with the Environmental Integrity Project, a watchdog group that monitors the enforcement of environmental laws. When the EPA passed RCRA in 1988, the agency promised to revisit its waste guidelines. But 30 years have passed, and it has yet to do so. The Environmental Integrity Project, along with NRDC and other groups, sued the EPA in 2015. The result was a settlement requiring the agency to decide whether to strengthen its waste standards by March of this year. Cron is hopeful that the EPA will step up and pass stricter regulations, but realizes It's an unlikely scenario under the Trump administration, which seems to be more interested in rolling back environmental protections. If fossil fuel waste continue to go unregulated, Cron says, quote, they're going to end up in the cheapest place. It winds up on the doorstep of folks with the least political power to fight back. And this uh, particular um, article does continue. So if you want to read the rest of that one, 
Uh, that is at nrdc.org. It's called The Small Town's Battle Against Radioactive Fracking and Waste. And as we've heard in the prior story, and we'll hear in the next couple stories, because of all that waste being generated, this is not nowhere near uh, uh, isolated or even exceedingly rare occurrence. Next up, next piece up is written by Reed Frazier and is published at stateimpact.npr.org. DEP finds landfill near Pittsburgh for problems tied to fracking waste. The Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Protection has fined a Westmoreland County landfill that had been passing pollution from oil and gas drilling waste into a local sewage treatment plant. The fine is part of a consent agreement with Westmoreland Sanitary Landfill to find a solution for the plant's leachate, the liquid waste formed when rain and moisture percolates through the landfill. As part of the settlement, the landfill will pay a $24,000 fine and reduce the amount of waste it generates by closing up a part of the landfill's open area and installing an evaporator and other treatment equipment for the liquid waste. Roe Rosier, a spokeswoman for the landfill, said in an emailed statement the company was, quote, pleased with the terms and conditions of the agreement. Rosier said the company was committed to investing substantial amounts of capital to purchase and install technology and equipment capable of treating and evaporating the leachate generated from the landfill on site. We are confident that our plan for on-site treatment and evaporation will resolve the landfill's recent leachate disposal issues. In May, a Fayette County judge ordered the landfill to stop sending its liquid waste to the Bell Vernon Municipal Authority's sewage treatment plant, which had reported problems meeting water quality standards for its treated sewage. The sewage plant sought the injunction because the leachate it was receiving from the landfill was high in salt and radioactive materials found in drilling waste, which the landfill had been taking for several years. The landfill's own waste reports showed the leachate it was sending to the treatment plant had an, quote, oil-like or petroleum sheen. State Impact Pennsylvania reported in September a loophole in state and federal waste disposal laws allowed the landfill to send its untreated leachate to the Bell Vernon sewage plant. DEP officials told Bell Vernon's operators to continue accepting the leachate and stipulated that the landfill would pay any fine occurred by the sewage plant for exceeding pollution standards for its discharge in the into the Monongahela River. Tests showed the contaminants, including radium, were exiting the treatment plant and going into the river, a drinking water source for hundreds of thousands of people. The DEP has insisted no drinking water sources were put in danger by the discharge. The agency says it wants the landfill to find a local disposal site for the waste to cut down on truck traffic from the landfill. For now, the waste will be sent to the sewage plant's two sewage plants in Ohio and Pennsylvania. Todd Musser, Director of Wastewater Operations for the Altoona Water Authority, one of the plants currently receiving the leachate, says his plant has no problems meeting its water quality standards since it began taking the leachate about three or four months ago. He said the plant receives 50,000 to 100,000 gallons of leachate per day, a small fraction of the 12.5 million gallons of sewage a day, his plant can accept. 
The Belvernon plant treats just under 1 million gallons a day. Quote, with the volume we treat here at Altoona Water Authority, it's a non-issue, he said. And next up, a piece by Laura Lundquist, um, published at MissoulaCurrent.com. The state of Montana appears to have backed off its proposal to allow landfills to accept higher levels of radioactive fracking waste than most other states. On Tuesday, the Missoula County Commission learned the Montana Department of Environmental Quality had walked back its proposal to allow four qualified landfills, including Missoula's, to accept loads of fracking waste containing higher concentrations of radiation. The proposed rule would have upped the concentration limits to 200 picocuries per gram, four times more than radiation than is allowed by most other states, including North Dakota, where most of the region's fracking waste originates. However, at the end of January, after reading through more than 1,000 comments received last fall, DEQ amended its rule, decreasing the radioactive concentration to 50 picocuries per gram. The state had been using that lower limit for years, but never created an enforceable rule. The amended rule will also require landfills to stop accepting fracking waste and notify DEQ if the radiation emanating from the landfill exceeded 100 millirem per year. DEQ is accepting comments on the amended rule until March 2. Quote, the department incorporated most of our concerns with the proposed rule, said Travis Ross, Missoula County Water Quality District Supervisor. The new proposed standard is in line with what North Dakota has. What we didn't want to see was some sort of incentive to bring the waste string into Montana. The county commission and city county health board will send letters encouraging the DEQ to adopt the amended standards. The radioactive waste in question is created when fracking pushes up particles, primarily two isotopes of radium along with gas or oil from deep in the earth, and concentrates them. Because the process condenses the amount of radiation, it's considered technologically enhanced radioactive material, or tenorm. Different parts of the fracking process produce more tenorm than others. Filter devices called socks separate rocky sludge from the fracked oil or gas, so socks and sludge are more radioactive, according to the Western Organization of Resource Councils. That's what fracking companies want to dump in landfills. At higher concentrations, tenorm can pose a health risk to waste disposal workers and truck drivers, so the amended rule reduces by half the amount of exposure that workers are allowed to sustain. And next up, a shifting away from waste, uh, but into another area of the fracking and oil and gas extraction industry. On the other end is transportation of that oil and gas and the kind of explosion of pipelines that we have had in the last decade or at least pipeline projects. This is published by earthjustice.org. One of the companies behind the Constitution Pipeline has reportedly abandoned the project following a series of legal challenges by Earth Justice and our partners. The proposed 124-mile gas pipeline was slated to run through Pennsylvania and New York 
threatening water quality, wildlife, and public health. The project also would have increased demand for fracked gas, locking in more climate pollution. The following is a statement from staff attorney Monine Naismith, who led Earth Justice's work to stop the pipeline. Quote, Defeating the Constitution pipeline is an enormous victory for advocates who have been fighting for eight years to protect New York State and its waterways. At this critical moment for our climate, we cannot afford unnecessary fossil fuel projects that will lead to more fracking and exacerbate our climate crisis. It's time to embrace a 100% clean energy future, and today's news is an important step in the right direction. And this piece from greenamerica.org. Since before he went on the presidential campaign trail, Trump has touted what he sees as the benefits of natural gas hydraulic fracturing or fracking. In July 2012, shortly after the Obama administration issued rules limiting fracking on federal lands, Trump needled the then president on Twitter, saying, quote, Fracking will lead to American energy independence with price of natural gas continuing to drop, we can be at a tremendous advantage. Now, as president, Trump appears determined to expand U.S. fracking operations. In July, he issued a proposal to undo Obama-era standards that limited fracking on federal lands, although those standards did little to limit them elsewhere. Quote, I'm going to lift the restrictions on American energy and allow this wealth to pour into our communities, Trump told shale industry leaders in Pennsylvania during his campaign. The shale energy revolution will unleash massive wealth for American workers and families. And if you listened to my, uh, not the last episode, but the episode before, you'll know that uh, massive wealth is largely just built on unsustainable debt that these companies incurred in drilling and fracking those wells because the price of the gas and oil is so low those companies cannot even make the money to help service that debt and many of those companies are going bankrupt laying off all those workers for those fantastic jobs that they overpromised and underdelivered and ultimately are failing at. Unfortunately, it's unleashed massive drinking water contamination in communities across the U.S. And while neither the Obama administration nor Trump fully addressed the ongoing water toxicity issues related to fracking, one small town in the Finger Lakes region of New York is serving as a model for other communities wishing to keep frackers at bay. Natural gas fracking entails shooting millions of gallons of water, sand, and chemicals into rock formations deep underground, with the purpose of fracturing them to get at the natural gas deposits beneath. The chemical makeup of a company's fracking fluid is considered proprietary information, so federal law doesn't require fossil fuel companies to disclose that information. According to a 2016 study by Environment America, quote, at least 137,000 fracking wells have been drilled or permitted in more, than 20, in more than 20 states. And while the lack of environmental impact disclosure 
means that the scale of water contamination and other damage due to fracking is hard to determine. A study by the Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory noted that around 10% of the chemicals commonly used in fracking operations are toxic to human or aquatic health. For example, Environment America notes that between 2005 and 2015, fracking operations deployed 1.5 billion pounds of petroleum distillates, which can cause eye and respiratory irritation and can contain carcinogens and other toxins. Pennsylvania anti-fracking activist Karen Ferridan alleges that in Berks County, frackers have, had even considered using landfill leachate as part of their fracking fluid until the community protested. Fracking contaminates water when natural gas and fracking fluids seep into groundwater supplies, as well as when fracking wastewater con containment systems leak or fail. In Pennsylvania alone, state regulators have confirmed 260 instances of private well contamination from fracking. The good news is that communities are winning the right to protect their water and their local environment by banning local fracking operations. And one of the first victories took place in the town of Dryden, New York. In 2009, representatives from the oil and gas industry began pressuring Dryden residents to lease their land for natural gas development. As those citizens learned more about what such agreements might entail, they grew increasingly alarmed at the prospect of fracking operations inside town borders. So they formed the Dryden Resources Awareness Coalition, DRAC, to fight off the frackers. They began collecting signatures on a petition asking the town board to take a stand against fracking the Marcellus Shale Rock Formation, which lies underneath the town of 14,000, as well as large portions of New York, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Virginia, West Virginia, and Maryland. Over the next few months, DRAC members took up chunks of the allotted citizens' privilege time at the beginning of meeting after meeting of the town board, demanding anti-fracking action. Around town, they passed out anti-fracking petitions and conducted multiple outreach efforts. Soon, fracking opponents in Dryden outnumbered supporters three to one, according to Earth Justice. Quote, The case would never have gotten off the ground at all without community action, says Deborah Goldberg, an Earth Justice lawyer who worked with DRAC members. In 2011, the town board approved a zoning law change that prohibited use of land within the town for oil and gas development, including fracking, in a unanimous bipartisan vote. The fracking industry didn't back down. Just six weeks later, the Anschutz Exploration Corporation sued Dryden in September of that year to get it to open up to fracking. The case made it to the state Supreme Court, which ruled in 2014 in favor of Dryden's right to zone out fracking operations. It went through two more legal challenges, ultimately resulting in the New York Court of Appeals upholding the decision. Quote, Heavy industry has never been allowed in our small farming town. And three years ago, we decided that fracking was no exception, said Dryden Town Supervisor Mary Ann Sumner on the day the town won its final court verdict. I hope our victory serves as an inspiration to people in Pennsylvania, Ohio, Texas, Colorado, New Mexico, Florida, North Carolina, California, and elsewhere, who are also trying to do what's right for their own communities. 
The decision gave legal backing to more than 170 state municipalities that had also passed anti-fracking laws at the time and gave a green light to several more that had been waiting on the Dryden decision to pass their own fracking bans, according to Goldberg. Quote, Dryden did it right from beginning to end, she says. They did their homework, recognized the problem, and pushed the town board for zoning limits that could stand up to legal challenge. They also showed up in court. The judges could see real people behind esoteric legal issues. Thomas S. West, a lawyer for Norse, Norse Energy Corp., which was involved in the Dryden appeals, told the New York Times that the decision could have far-reaching effects. In the future, he said, companies will have to weigh whether to invest, quote, the tens or hundreds of millions of dollars required to develop the resource, only to be at risk of a municipal ban. And this piece by Hannah Lynn of pghcitypaper.com. Jerry Dickinson, a University of Pittsburgh law professor and congressional candidate for the 18th District, endorsed Senator Bernie Sanders for president today. Dickinson cited several points on which he and Sanders align, including climate action, Medicare for all, criminal justice reform, affordable housing, and a broader mission of tackling inequality. Quote, I am today endorsing and supporting Bernie Sanders for President of the United States. This is largely because we have the same mission. Mr. Sanders and I, in terms of speaking for the people, says Dickinson, we want to make sure a government works for all people and not just a privileged few. I certainly support his vision for the country, and I think he's the best person to lead this country in 2020. Dickinson has been especially vocal about his support for the Green New Deal, which Sanders also supports, a plan put forth by Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Senator Ed Markey with goals of a clean energy economy by 2030. His opponent, Representative Mike Doyle, backs the Clean Future Act, which sets its goals for 2050. Quote, part of why this is so important to me is because I have a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, and she's growing up as a black girl in Pittsburgh. And we know that the pollution and environmental issues that are ongoing in this district are affecting many people of color and low-income families, says Dickinson. But this is why we need a bold action, bold leadership, and progressive leadership in this district to fight these inequalities. Like Sanders, Dickinson also supports a ban on natural gas drilling, a.k.a. fracking, an issue on which Pennsylvanians are divided. A January 2020 poll from Franklin and Marshall shows that 48% of registered voters in the state support a fracking ban, while 38% oppose. The poll also showed that 64% of Democrats in Pennsylvania are in favor of the ban, and voters in the Allegheny County support a fracking ban by 61 to 26 margin. The 18th District represents the city of Pittsburgh and its eastern and southern suburbs within Allegheny County. Dickinson sees Sanders' support for the ban and his push for Medicare for All as issues that go hand in hand. Quote, when we're talking about Bernie's positions on the Green New Deal and his positions on Medicare for All, the two are intertwined, he says. We have a major public health crisis as a result of climate change, so we need to have a comprehensive health care reform to help absorb those problems. 
And finally, uh, another uh, story about that uh, legislation proposed by Sanders and Ocasio-Cortez and others on banning fracking. This published by CommonDreams.org, written by Jessica Corbett. More than 570 national, regional, and local groups signed on to a letter Thursday endorsing the first-ever national legislation that would immediately prohibit federal permits for new fracking or related infrastructure and fully ban the practice in the United States beginning in 2025. Quote, At a time when study after study reveals the urgent need to rapidly move away from fossil fuels and onto 100% renewable energy, we write to express our strong support for the Fracking Ban Act, declares the letter, organized by the national advocacy group Food and Water Action. As we witness increasingly extreme impacts of the climate crisis, the federal government must act to stop the expansion of fossil fuels. The Fracking Ban Act was introduced in the upper chamber last month by Senator Bernie Sanders, a top 2020 Democratic presidential candidate, and in the lower chamber last week by Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a supporter of Sanders' presidential campaign and the main House sponsor of the Green New Deal. Quote, The science is clear. Fracking is a leading contributor to our climate emergency. It is destroying our land, it is destroying our water, and it is wreaking havoc on our community's health, Ocasio-Cortez said in January. Sanders added that, quote, if we are serious about clean air and drinking water, if we are serious about combating climate change, the only safe and sane way to move forward is to ban fracking nationwide. The legislation, which would immediately revoke permits for current fracking wells within 2,500 feet of homes, schools, or other inhabited structures, and clearly states that, quote, fracked natural gas is not a bridge fuel, as the oil and gas industry and some politicians have claimed, is co-sponsored by Senator Jeff Merkley and Representative Darren Soto. As Common Dreams reported Wednesday, new research suggests that the extraction and use of fossil fuels may emit up to 40% more methane than scientists previously thought, bolstering the case for quickly shifting renewable energy to renewable energy systems worldwide. Quote, in addition to banning fracking and fracked gas infrastructure, it is critical to prioritize support for communities who have historically been harmed first and most by the dirty energy economy and workers in the energy sector and related industries, says the letter, advocating for, quote, a fair and just transition from fossil fuels to renewable energy. Karen Faradun, a co-founder of the Pennsylvania-based Better Path Coalition, said in a statement Thursday that, quote, the fracking ban act couldn't be more timely or necessary. In Pennsylvania, we are seeing a shift toward a second generation of fracking to support the production of plastic, she explained. Communities still reeling from fracking's impacts of the past 16 years are being hit again as they find themselves in the path of the metastasizing infrastructure, and it's all happening with the blessing of elected officials on both sides of the aisle. The group's letter comes on the heels of a new Food and Water Watch report documenting the dangers of fracking. As Common Dreams reported, 
like the legislation that report pushed back against the fossil fuel industry's framing of natural gas as a, quote, bridge fuel, and called for a ban on fracking as part of a national transition to renewable energy through a New Deal scale, Green Energy, Public Works, Program. Quote, the path to a Green New Deal starts with bold action to restrict the supply of fossil fuels, and that is precisely why a ban on fracking is an absolute necessity. Winona Howder, Executive Director at Food and Water Watch and Food and Water Watch Action, said Thursday, We've seen the toll fracking has taken on the health and safety of frontline communities, she said. We know that it has stymied the growth of clean renewable alternatives and we know that emissions from fracking are fueling the climate crisis. There is no time to waste. A ban on fracking is essential and urgent climate action. And that'll wrap up this episode of Frack You Very Much. If you want to check out all the back episodes, just go to frackyouverymuch.com. You can also follow on Twitter at FYVM show you can also listen and watch me record frack you very much live on twitch.tv that's a twitch.tv slash unrelated things and here is eve silber from the album by this fracking album this is what about climate change thanks for listening
Solution. Part of the solution. 